And now, brothers and sisters, we come to God's Word. If you will, take out a Bible and open with me to John chapter 20. Gospel of John chapter 20. If you don't have your own Bible, you can open one of those on the pew in front of you, the blue ones. We'll be in John chapter 20 and then later John chapter 21 this morning. John chapter 20. Okay, so... Jesus rose from the dead. But so what? So what? What does it mean for your everyday life? How does it actually change the way I go about my day? You know, as Christians, a lot of times we, we kind of get a grasp on what happened at the cross and what that means for us. But we lack an understanding of the resurrection and how that actually affects our lives. Today we look at three individuals in the story of Easter, three characters of Easter, you might say, and how Jesus' resurrection changed everything for them. One was fearful, one was a skeptic, and the other was ridden with guilt. Perhaps you will see and find yourself in one of these three this morning. Perhaps you will see how the resurrected Jesus can change you as well. Let's go to our text, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now we're going to look first at Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was fearful. She represents those of us who struggle with fear today. Now a little backstory on Mary Magdalene. Jesus was everything to her. Absolutely everything to her. We learn from Mark and Luke's Gospels that earlier in Mary Magdalene's life, Jesus drove seven demons out of her. She was demon-possessed, living with seven demons possessing her. What in the world would that have felt like? What a living hell that would have been. And Jesus freed her from that. Jesus saved her from that. Think about how she would have felt about this man what her life was before He came into her life versus what it was after. He was her Savior. Now, we all say Jesus is our Savior, but for her, it was a a real and concrete way that He was her Savior. He was everything to Mary Magdalene. How would she have felt when He was arrested and killed? What would that have been like for her? I mean, she would have been heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. And she would have been afraid. She would have been very afraid. I don't think she would have been afraid like the rest of the disciples were. When Jesus was killed, the rest of the disciples were afraid they might be arrested and killed in the same way. But Mary Magdalene, no, she was afraid of what might happen without her protector. What if the demons came back? She's vulnerable without Jesus. With this man, I'm safe. Without him, when he's gone, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my soul? How can I go back to just living my life without this guy? And not only that, but when she gets to the tomb, it seems as if someone stole his body. And so she can't even grieve for him like she needs to. At least while his body was there, she could have cared for it and remembered Him in that way. Now it seems like the body is gone. 
And so we come to John chapter 20, verse 1, where it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now let's jump over to verse 11. Verse 11 with me now. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that she had said, or that he had said these things to her. Now what's interesting about Mary Magdalene is she was the very first person of all human beings, the very first person to see the resurrected Jesus. Now notice how she doesn't recognize him at first. Right? It says in verse 1, Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark. Then it says she ran, she told Peter and John, and she came back, but it's still dusk. And she doesn't recognize Jesus when she sees him. Now I think this is due to a number of factors. Number one, it's a little bit dark out there. And so she can't see as well as she otherwise could. So off in the distance perhaps, she sees somebody. Initially she doesn't recognize who that is. It's a little bit dark. There's hardly any light out where this was. We don't have artificial lights like we do today. But also, think about how she has no category in her mind for Jesus being being alive. No category at all. She's not expecting to see Jesus alive. Not expecting it at all. And so when she looks and she sees a person, even though it is Jesus, her mind immediately tells her, that's not Jesus, that's somebody else. Jesus is dead. Right? So she suspects him to be the gardener. But also, if you remember, Jesus' body has been transformed. It's his glorified body that he has even today. And so Jesus might look a little bit different. We know that this body is different in some ways because twice the disciples were in a locked room and Jesus just appears among them. Apparently he can go through walls and locked doors. Right? This is a resurrected, glorified body that will never die again. Much like the one that we look forward to having, we will be made like him in our resurrection. And so all of these come together to make it to where she doesn't recognize him at first. But then she hugs him. She grabs him. She clings to him. He says, do not cling to me. She clings to him. Now think, put yourself in the mind and the feelings of Mary Magdalene here. She was so afraid. She's In such despair, she's lost the man who was everything to her. And now he's back. And she grabs him, and she never wants to let go ever again. 
She would probably follow him around every single minute of the day if he would let her. She's hugging him and she's thinking, you can't leave me again. Don't ever leave me again. I had you and then I lost you and now I've I've got you back again. I can't believe it. Don't ever leave again. And yet he says he must. She must let go of him because she must go and tell others and he must leave so he can ascend to the Father and so that he can send the Spirit. Why does Jesus have to go back to the Father? So that he can send the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of every believer so that they would never be apart again. See, what Mary doesn't understand right then and there is that if Jesus leaves, he will tell his disciples this at another point, if he leaves, then he can send his Spirit to be with her and they will never be parted again. Not even for a minute. He will always be with her. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ and been baptized into His name, we have the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of us right now. And it is with us every second of every day. There is no being apart from Jesus when you're a Christian. He is with you every single moment. Now perhaps... You are Mary this morning. Perhaps you're afraid. Perhaps this world puts fear into your heart. Perhaps you are saying in your heart this morning, please don't leave me alone in this world. There's so much wrong. There's so much evil. There's so much hatred. How do I know I'm going to be okay? with everything that's out there, with the way the world is going, how do I know I'm going to be okay? Hear these words from the Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 5, where God tells us to be content. Be content with your life. For He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How in the world can we be content? How in the world can we be at peace in this world like it is now? Because He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Think about Jesus' own words in John 16.33 where He says, and hear this word this morning, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You need to hear that this morning. You will have trouble. We're not denying it. We're not turning a blind eye to it. You're going to have trouble in this world. Sometimes it's going to be bad. Sometimes it's going to be really hard. But take heart. He has overcome the world. Jesus is saying this to you, to your heart this morning. You will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. Or perhaps... Perhaps the thing that you fear the most is not out there, but it's in here. Perhaps it's not everything that's out there that you fear. It's what's inside of you that you're afraid of. And hear these words from 1 John 4.4 where it says, Greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is He who is in you 
than he who is in the world. If you're a Christian today, you have something inside of you that is greater than Satan and everything and every force that he can throw at you. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, protecting you because you are His. If you're not a Christian this morning, you can have that. Are you afraid of the forces of darkness in this world? I'm not here to tell you that you don't need to be afraid of them. We actually do. There is a healthy fear of things out there that are stronger than we are. Satan is stronger than we are. He is smarter than we are. He has been around much longer than you have. But if you are a believer this morning, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You do not have to be afraid any longer. You do not have to live in that fear. And even as you are fighting fear, you can have one alongside of you the whole time. As you fight it. It's not as if fear will never come again. But as you fight it, He is with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Take heart, He has overcome the world. But perhaps that's, that's not you this morning. Perhaps you look at Mary and you say, no, that's, that's not really me. Well, there are others in the Easter story. Specifically, there's a skeptic named Thomas. We find his story in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Thomas is the skeptic. He doesn't believe what people say. He's not gullible like a bunch of other people out there. He's not going to fall for the thing that everybody else is falling for. And he's probably a bit of a pessimist too. You see, I know Thomas. Because I am Thomas. This is me. This one's me. Just because you say it, or just because you believe it, doesn't make it true. I'm not going to take your word for it. I'm going to go see for myself. I'm not going to get caught up in emotionalism. And I'm not going to get caught up in the big rumor that everybody else has fallen for because it's something we all want to be true. No, we're going to, we're going to look at the evidence. I'm going to look at the evidence and make sure before I pass on that to anyone else. I'm not going to trust it just because everybody else is trusting it. I am Thomas. This is me. Is this you this morning? Thomas is the skeptic. But interestingly enough, when Thomas, when Thomas was when Thomas was away is when Jesus showed up first. You see the first time Jesus showed up to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was gone. And I'm so thankful that he was gone. I'm so thankful that he was gone because if he wasn't gone, we wouldn't have one of the most Beautiful passages in all of Scripture. I'm so thankful he wasn't there the first time because, listen to this. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, when he came the first time. And so the other disciples, whom Jesus had already appeared to, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and the, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Notice how Jesus responds to Thomas' skepticism. He doesn't tell him like I would have thought he would have. He doesn't tell him how disappointed he is. I can't believe you didn't believe, Thomas. I'm so disappointed that you didn't believe in the words of the other disciples that I appeared to. That's not what Jesus does. He's compassionate. He's gentle. He's patient. He helps Thomas to believe. He helps Thomas take a close look. And then he melts his heart. He melts his heart. Notice how Thomas says, my Lord and my God in verse 28. My Lord and my God. See, Thomas gets a bad rap. We always call him Doubting Thomas, right? But Thomas was actually the first one in Scripture to call Jesus God. He's the first one to do it. Thomas calls Jesus God. And this profession of faith right here, it's one of the deepest and most amazing professions of faith in all of Scripture. Thomas looks at him. Not only does he call him my Lord, he calls him God. You are my God. Thomas is the one who said that. You see, while it may be hard for a skeptic to come to Christ, when they do, their faith is deep and strong And they know why they believe what they believe. Now look at verse 29. Verse 29 is particularly special for me. Because Jesus, a long time ago, Jesus melted my heart with these words. See, when I was a teenager, I remember this vividly. When I was a teenager, I was at a youth rally down by Kentucky Lake. Right? There's a bunch of teenagers at this youth rally. We're doing all kinds of stuff. Teenagers from all over the state and some from even other states. And, and up in the front, we were sitting in one of the sessions, up in the front they were doing this cheesy sketch. I mean, honestly, it was like a cheesy drama thing. And I was sitting there, I'm the skeptic, and I'm, I'm like, okay, we'll just wait till this is over and be polite. It, it was cheesy, though. I really didn't want to even, even be there at that point. And right in the middle of that cheesy drama sketch, I don't even know what the context was, but one of the, the guys who was there just quoted this verse out loud. And it was like God shot an arrow into my heart. I heard the words out loud. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it was like Jesus just punched me in the gut. I honestly don't even know why I tell you other than I hope and pray that God would do that to you. That His Word would pierce your heart like it pierced mine that day. I'll never forget it. It was years and years ago. But it pierced my soul. He melted my heart. Are you Thomas today? Are you the skeptic? If so, from one skeptic to another, let me say this. You might think you need answers, but you don't. That's not what you need. You need an encounter with Jesus. You need to see Him with your own eyes, the eyes of your heart. You need Him to melt your heart. You see, the answers are all there if you're willing to look. The answers are all there. If you're willing to open your eyes and to let your guard down, to swallow your pride, or to lay aside your pride, the answers are all there if you're willing to see them. But answers are not what you need. 
You don't need the answers. You need to experience Jesus' love and compassion. Because you see, Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He goes on to say, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying people don't reject Jesus because of a lack of evidence. They reject him because their heart doesn't want him. That's why people reject Jesus. It's not a lack of evidence. It's because they don't want it to be true. They don't want the light. They love the darkness rather than the light. It's not a matter of evidence. It's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of the heart. Will you put aside your pride and let Jesus come in? Will you let your guard down? Inside, deep down, you are longing for this. I know you are. You've always longed for this. You've always longed for it to be true. That he actually could be alive. That he actually could have come back from the dead. That your sins actually could be taken care of. And that there could be another way. You've always longed for it. Why don't you embrace it? It's okay to hope. Listen, I'm a skeptic. I know how this feels. I know that you are protecting yourself from being hurt and being disappointed. It's okay to hope because you won't get burned. You won't get hurt because it's all true. It's all true. And when you come to Christ, brothers and sisters, Christianity is not the religion where you turn off your brain. And you turn off your critical thinking skills. Just close your eyes and believe. That's not what this is about. That's not what Jesus said to Thomas. No, he said, put your hands here. Feel it. Sense it. Experience it. See it for yourself. Christianity is not the religion where you turn off your brain. No, it's the the religion where you find the satisfaction that you've always been looking for up there. It's the only intellectually satisfying option there is when you really get down to it. Jesus came back from the dead, and he's there for you to examine for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Remember, we're skeptics. Don't take my word for it. You need to have an encounter with Jesus yourself. So would you simply read through the Gospels? That's what I would challenge you to do. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with an open mind and an open heart to what is actually there. That's it. That's all I would ask you to do. I'd even read them with you if you feel a little bit uneasy about something that you've never encountered before like that. But see Him for yourself. He will help you believe. Now finally, you might not be Mary. You might not be Thomas. But we come now to Peter. Peter is the guilty. Those who are riddled with guilt. Now remember Peter. Remember his story. Peter was the guy who was always vocal about supporting Jesus and following Jesus. Peter was the guy who would stand up with Jesus and say, if everyone else denies you, I'm not going to. I would go with you to the death, Jesus. If everyone leaves, I won't leave. Not me. And in the garden, if you remember, in the garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter whips out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Right? Peter was ready to fight. And Jesus has to tell him to put the sword away that this is not the way, this is not the plan. 
Peter was ready, but if you remember one of those times when Peter said, Lord, I'll never, I'll never walk away, I'll never deny. Jesus looked right at him and he said, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. No, not, not me, Lord, not me. I'm ready to go. No, before the rooster crows. And what happens? Jesus is arrested. Peter follows at a distance. When he comes to the outer court, people begin to look at him and ask, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of them? He says, no. No, I don't know that man. Somebody else, he's by the fire asking, no, what, it was you, wasn't it? I've seen you around. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know him. I'm not with him. Three times he denies Jesus. And on the third time, we read in one of the Gospel accounts that from a distance, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. Jesus looks right at him. The rooster crows, and Peter knows immediately what's happened. It was the thing he, he said he would never do, but exactly what Jesus said would happen. And he can't get to Jesus. Jesus is being arrested. He's been taken away. He's on trial. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. And what happens? Jesus is killed. Peter never gets to apologize. He never gets to say, I'm sorry. The last thing that Peter and Jesus did was look at one another. And Jesus knew it was the look of betrayal. Judas was not the only one who betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed him. It was the last thing he did. The last thing Jesus knew about. And now he's dead. Now he's gone. I didn't even get to apologize. Think about the guilt and despair Peter would have felt more than all the others. It had to have been worse for him than all of the others. And so we come to John chapter 21, verse 1. Where it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were there. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Heard this before? Does this ring any bells? That night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Once again, day is breaking. He's a distance away. They probably can't really tell who it is. They have no category for him being alive in their minds. Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said to him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. See what's happening. And they realize it's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. He's not waiting for the boat to get there. It's Jesus. He's back. I've got another chance. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus gives him the chance to proclaim his love for him. If you remember in Mark chapter 16, when the angels were telling Mary to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had arose, the angels were telling her to go. They said, go and tell the disciples and tell Peter. They specifically said Peter. Why? Because Jesus and the angels knew. They they all needed to hear the news that Jesus was raised. But Peter, Peter needed to hear it most of all. When Peter hears it for the first time, he sprints to the tomb. He runs. Just the, the, the slightest glimmer of hope in his heart, in his mind, maybe, just maybe, this is true. He runs. Now, if you remember, this is a miraculous catch of fish. This happened before. This miraculous catch of fish, just like this, it happened before when Jesus called Peter to him. You remember this? James and John were there, right? Jesus does the same thing. They'd fished all night. Peter catches nothing. There's nothing in the boat at all. And then Jesus showed up, shows up in the morning. And they don't, at that point, they don't know who this guy is. They don't really know. They've heard rumors maybe, but they don't know. And Jesus says, cast your nets over there. And they're like, we've fished all night. You don't understand. We, we're fishermen. We fished all night. There's no fish. And Jesus says, no, just do it. You know, humor me maybe. And then they do. There's so many fish, their nets are breaking. What happens at that point? You remember the first one. What does Peter do? Peter falls down at Jesus' feet, face down. He's probably weeping when he says this. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, Jesus revealed his holiness and his glory in that moment. And Peter says, go away from me. I'm not worthy. I'm sinful. I, don't, I, I can't be in your presence. And what did Jesus do? He stood him up. He looked him in the eye and he says, you follow me. That's what I want. I want you to follow me. From that moment on, Peter was ready to go, right? Peter was the guy who was always first, always boasting, always, you know, outspoken. But then this happened. This is how they recognize him immediately, right? They see him from a distance. It's dark. They don't know it's Jesus, but when the miraculous catch happens, John, it says the one, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's how John refers to himself in the gospel. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. We know it's the Lord. There's only one guy who can do this, right? He's done it before. We've seen it. It's the Lord. And Peter doesn't wait. Peter jumps in the water because he's got his second chance. He's now got a chance to talk to Jesus It won't be the last thing that he ever did. Can you imagine? I mean, think about this. We have regrets with loved ones that have passed away. Some people have deep regrets. The last thing I said to them was something that I said in anger. The the last words I spoke to them were were in an argument, and then they died. I didn't didn't know they were going to pass away. If I had, I'd have never said that. They live with that regret for years and years hoping one day maybe I can see them in heaven and reconcile. Peter has the opportunity right here, right now. And Jesus restores him three times. Three times he denied, three times he has Peter say that he loves him. And then when Peter proclaims his love for Jesus, Jesus responds by saying, now you lead my people. 
Now you're ready to be the leader that you always wanted to be. So you take care of my sheep. You're going to be the one who does it. Are you Peter today? Are you riddled with guilt? Are you saying in your heart, I've sinned so many times. God must be so disappointed in me. I've turned my back on God over and over and over. Jesus died for all of your sins. He died for all of your sins. He's waiting to forgive you for every single one. But He didn't just die. A dead Savior cannot restore you. A dead Savior cannot forgive you. A dead Savior cannot lift you from your knees and say, follow me. If He was dead, we would be wallowing in despair. Because our sins put Him in the grave, right? Our sins put Him on that cross. If He was dead, we would be wallowing in despair. But brothers and sisters, He's not dead. And our sins, even though they are many, His mercy and His grace is more. In Psalm 103, starting in verse 10, we read this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. So no matter who you are this morning, are you Mary, are you Thomas, are you Peter, the Lord is calling to you. Remember Mary. She didn't recognize Him until He said her name. And then it happened. He said her name. He's saying your name today. Jesus is saying your name. Speaking that into your heart. How will you respond? We're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer right now. These moments of silent prayer are for every single one of us to respond to God, to reckon with what He just laid on our hearts. And so we give this time as a time of response. We're going to have a time of public response for any who need to respond to God's Word publicly here in a second. But every single one of us needs to respond to God's Word privately. And so this time of silent prayer, we're asking you, go to God Respond to what He just laid on your heart, whatever it was and however He did it, because it's probably unique to every single one of us. And then after we have that time of private response, we'll come back, we'll have a time of public response. Let's pray.